welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one charitable page of Talmud every day. Here's a line from today's stuff, Aruvan 86, that, you know, may rub some of us kind of the wrong way. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi would honor the wealthy, and Rabbi Akiva would likewise honor the wealthy. In accordance with Rava Barmari's interpretation of the verse, may he be enthroned before God forever, appoint mercy and truth that they may preserve him. When may he be enthroned before God forever? When he appoints man mercy and truth that they may preserve him. We should honor the wealthy. We should revere the rich. That struck me at least a little bit as the kind of almost antithetical to this idea that so many of us take for granted about Judaism, which is we're about the substance, not, well, the substance. And so we are privileged to have with us Lila Corwin Berman, uh, who literally wrote the book, The American Jewish Philanthropic Complex, The History of a Multi-Billion Dollar Institution. Thank you so much, Professor Berman, for joining us. Oh, thank you. And so let me just ask you this. Do we currently, opening this discussion or taking a page uh, from, from the Talmud today, do we give too much honor to our philanthropists these days or not enough? Well, you know, obviously it can vary depending on who we're talking about. But the kind of historical research that I've done about American Jewish philanthropy has really focused on the various structures from American policy, tax policy, financial policy that have made it such that whether we want to honor and revere the wealthy or not, we have created and are certainly participating in a system that makes it so, in a sense, dollar for dollar, the wealthy have, if not more honor and reverence, they certainly have more wealth. And we are, you know, then in this system, and many of us kind of recognize the ways in which over the last, say, 30, 40 years, economists have plotted a widening economic inequality gap, right? So very few people making a lot of money and lots of people not making much money. And in a sense, our philanthropic systems not only follow those kinds of patterns, but they've been part of creating those kinds of intense stratifications. And so what this means is that, again, you know, whether our intimate desires are to laud the very wealthy We are in a system when lots of our institutions, and certainly in Jewish life, most of our communities are beholden to the wealth of very, very few individuals. That's fascinating. You know, I think many of us still think uh, of, of Jewish charity, to, to use that word, in terms of you know, putting, putting a few shekels in the little blue box or, or sending a check to the Federation or to Hadassah. But, but your research reveals that the structure has grown very different and that big money has gotten much bigger. And as a result, the voice of a few wealthy individuals in the community has become far more amplified. Exactly. So what you're describing you know, whether it's an ideal of a certain kind of tzedakah or what historians in the United States might call citizen philanthropy, certainly has been an operative principle in the ways that American philanthropy and American Jewish philanthropy have operated, right? The idea that you would have a lot of people giving, you know, whatever they can, but not huge gifts, and that that money would be 
allocated out, you know, at a sort of rapid clip to serve whatever the pressing needs of the day were. And if we look, for example, at the history of the Jewish Federation system in the United States, you know, which is the kind of umbrella giving organization, it was exactly this kind of philosophy, right, which had a certain democratic impulse to it you know, that you wanted lots and lots of people in the community to give and that their gift in a sense would be legitimated by how rapidly that money would circulate out to serve needs. And then the fact that the next year they would give again, right? So there's been that model of citizen philanthropy, but really starting in the 1950s and then increasing in the 60s and 70s, all sorts of policies in American financial life and American political life Uh, really made it so that that kind of citizen philanthropy stopped making as much sense. It's not that fewer Americans actually were giving. The rate of Americans who give to charity and Jews who give to charity has been pretty stable over the 20th century. But it's, you know, the, the smaller gift that I may give becomes not just overshadowed by, but like literally inconsequential when measured against the largest gifts that the largest kind of mega donors can give. And so then that mechanism, that democratizing mechanism of citizen philanthropy, in a sense, becomes really irrelevant. And so let me ask you the question uh, that you probably dread most. Is there a way out of this? Oh, yes, there totally is a way out of this. No, I love that question. You know, one of the reasons I wrote this book about American Jewish philanthropy was because I have faith that when we study the history of this institution, of this structure, we notice all of the points when choices were made, when structures were built, when proposals were, you know, either followed through on or rejected. And we see that we don't have to be in the situation that we're in, right? That there were times in the past when people suggested making other kinds of decisions, right? For example, times when People in Congress were really adamant about putting a limited lifespan on charitable foundations. That was going to be part of the 1969 Tax Reform Act. It ended up not being part of it. Where would we be if maybe that were the case, that in 25 years, any charitable foundation would have to spend out? Would we be in a place where more of that capital, instead of accumulating and growing in the market economy and and whatever else, more of that capital would be pushed out and potentially disrupting a system that's really, really unequal. There's so many ways that if we, I think, think about the history, we can also sort of open our eyes to ways this can be reformed. And so responding perhaps to today's page, let us say, let us honor the wealthy, but let us also construct ways to guard us from undue influence by the wealthy. Professor Berman, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic and we'll see you again soon.